Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of February 2nd, 2023. My name is Gregory Haddock. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. The Long Way Home, our in-depth look at the housing crisis. High home prices, lack of supply, sever metro residents from communities. Low and middle income people struggle to live where they work. By Robert Tan, Colorado Community Media. Arvada City team resolves to manage local homeless service providers by Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press. Governor Jared Polis visits Lamar Station Crossing in Lakewood by Andrew Ferrelli and following up with various articles. The Long Way Home, our in-depth look at the housing crisis. High home prices, lack of supply, sever metro residents from communities. Low and middle income people struggle to live where they work. By Robert Tan. When Chris Laney moved into his new three-bedroom home last summer, he felt like he'd won the lottery. After more than a decade of chasing the cheapest rent across the metro area, the Littleton bartender finally has a house to call his own. I almost feel guilty that I have it, said Laney, 49. Laney is one of a handful of residents who have secured housing through a subsidized program aimed at helping lower and middle income people live where they work. But as cities and towns contend with historically high home costs and a lack of supply, residents like Laney have struggled to live in their communities. I've always felt like I was just passing through instead of living somewhere putting down roots, said Laney. He has worked at Jake's Brew Bar in Littleton since 2012. This is where I want to be, Laney said. My friends and family are Jake's. In numerous counties, residents spanning a range of employments from the service industry of teaching to teaching, have faced the brunt of what many officials are calling a housing crisis. The median price of a single-family home in the metro area has roughly tripled since 2010, according to an August 2022 report by the Colorado Association of Realtors. Back in 2010, the median price was about $200,000. And wages have not kept up with home costs, between 2000 and 2019, median rents rose at a faster rate than household incomes, quote, in every Colorado county and city with 50,000-plus residents. According to a November 2021 report from Denver-based consulting firm Root Policy Research. The report also said that as of June 2021, Colorado's overall housing inventory was 13% of what is needed for a functioning sales market. Quote, quite honestly, we just don't have enough housing, whether it's affordable or otherwise, said Kelly Milliman, city council member for Littleton's District 4 and a member of the city's housing task force. It's really vitally important to the overall health of our community going forward. The sentiment is similar for leaders in the neighboring cities of Inglewood and Sheridan. There, officials said affordable home options used to be more common. Quote, for the people that can afford it, they have lots of choices in the metro area, said Brad Power, Inglewood's Director of Community Development. But we're starting to see more gaps with people who are on the other side of the income spectrum. Devin Granberry, City Manager for Sheridan, said higher home costs have driven workers out of what he described as a historically blue-collar area. It leads to a very transient pipeline of citizenry and workforce, he said. There's no sense of belonging. There's no sense of ownership. And all of those are negative impacts on a community, the well-being of a community. Searching for home. After leaving the house he owned near Houston, Texas, 
more than a decade ago. Laney knew buying a home in Denver would be a near impossible feat. He was making good money at a medical diagnostics company and had been able to purchase a brand new home in Houston suburb for less than $150,000. But his mental health was suffering and he knew he needed a change. With friends living in Colorado at the time, Laney decided to move more than 1,000 miles north to Denver. With his fresh start came the opportunity to dive into a longtime passion, wine. He took classes to become a sommelier, a trained wine professional. He sold wine to businesses across the metro area, worked part-time at a cozy wine bar and restaurant in the heart of Littleton's historic downtown, and eventually landed a full-time job at Jake's. Laney settled on wherever he could find the most affordable apartment, something hovering around $1,000 per month in places around Denver. The ones he found in Littleton were, Littleton were too run down. As rents around the region rose, Laney moved five times in six years. During this whole process, I knew I wanted a house, Laney said. I wanted something that was my own, and it's hard to build a home in an apartment especially when you keep moving. Laney's experiences came as Littleton residents expressed less confidence that their city was affordable. From 2012 to 2022, residents who cited affordable costs of living as a reason for living in Littleton declined from 30% to 14%, according to biennial city-issued surveys of hundreds of residents. Over those same years, residents who said affordable housing and rental rates were a reason for living in the city went from 20% to 9%. Laney said he worked, saved, and kept his spending habits to a minimum during those years, staying laser-focused on the ultimate prize. Credit card debt from college, quote, really destroyed a lot of opportunities, he said, but he kept working, working, working. Even though Laney estimates he was making about $48,000 yearly, he says he was far short of what he needed for a down payment on even the least expensive of homes in Littleton. He wasn't alone. The 2020 analysis from Denver-based contractor Root Policy showed that individuals who earned $29,000 to $95,000 yearly in the metro area could not afford the average price of a home, which was nearly $420,000 that year. It's a pretty serious situation, said Corey Wrights, executive director of Littleton's Housing Authority, South Metro Housing Options. The list of folks who can't continue to live here continues to grow. That list, according to Root's analysis, includes workers in healthcare, education, construction, food service, and more. Essential workers risk being priced out. Staffers at Swedish Medical Center in Inglewood say the housing problem also affects them. They blame the shortage of essential hospital workers they're contending with, in part, on the cost of housing. Absolutely the rising cost of housing here in Colorado is a topic, said Dina Schmedecki, the hospital's vice president of human resources. Colleagues are often bringing up those stresses, end quote. That housing cost factor has caused hospital leaders to offer a $10,000 housing stipend to incentivize new employees, Schmidecki said. In Brighton, northeast of Denver, Michael Clow, chief human resources officer for 27J Schools, said the cost of housing has impacted the district's ability to maintain and support staff. We hear from candidates and from our new hires that the cost of housing and their ability to find housing is a real problem, Klaus said. We recently had two math teachers, husband and wife, join us. They were excited to live their dream and moved to Colorado. After just one year and realizing they could not afford to raise a family here, they moved back to their home state. Klaus said the crisis has restricted the district's pool of applicants graduating with teaching degrees, creating intense competition for staff and teachers. 
The cost of housing is becoming a serious obstacle for us to maintain service levels and serve our mission, he said. Farther north in Fort Lupton, the Weld R8 school district has faced similar pressures. Superintendent Alan Kaler said the annual salary for a first-year teacher in the district is about $41,000. Kaler bought his home in 1995 for $72,000. He said a home across the street from his was recently listed at $685,000. The price of that house across the street rose more than four times faster than the pace of inflation, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics Inflation Calculator. How can any family afford that, he asked. Something has to give. After a while, you have to wonder how long people will tolerate living on teachers' wages. Even for some residents making a larger income, housing remains elusive. West of Denver and Evergreen, husband and wife Bill and Charm Connolly bring in a combined six-figure salary. Bill Connolly is an insurance agent and blackjack dealer for a Black Hawk casino. Charm is the front house general manager for Cactus Jack's, a bar and restaurant in Evergreen. The two rent a three-bedroom home and are struggling to save for a house. Even downsizing to something smaller, they said, would likely increase their spending by roughly $400 a month. The two currently pay $2,200 per month on rent. I feel like a failure. I finally get a good full-time job making great money, and eight years ago, ten years ago, we could have easily have gotten something, Bill Connolly said. Between the two of us, I see what we make, Charm said. We are making decent money, but I want to be able to save money and not blow it all on rent. For Adam Galbraith, a Cactus Jack's bartender, the only way to keep his rent affordable is to live with others. Quote, the only reason I'm able to save money is because it's a 1,100 square foot place and we crammed four people in it. Galbraith said, adding, monthly rent is about $1,500. If you've got roommates, that's the only way you're going to save money. A housing limbo. Near the end of 2019, Laney, the Littleton bartender, was beginning to feel more confident about reaching his goal for a down payment. He'd paid off his car and credit card debt and said he, quote, worked hard to keep it that way. His savings account was beginning to bulk up. Then came COVID-19. Years of careful saving and unyielding restraint on spending evaporated in months. Laney was forced to drain his savings account during the beginning of the pandemic amid lockdowns. He received nothing from the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program, though he would gain 3200 from stimulus checks in the months to come. Still, he was hanging on. It was the community around Jake's, our regulars, who kept us alive, Laney said. I was there every single day for damn near a year, he said, with the bar able to do curbside orders even as its doors remained shuttered. Before the pandemic, Laney estimates he brought in about $4,000 each month before taxes. By the end of the month, after paying for rent, utilities, groceries, and gas, he would be left with just 200 to $300, which usually went into his savings. Living that way was terrifying, said Laney, who always felt he could be on the edge of losing his housing should he have a bad month. The pandemic only exacerbated the uncertainty as his savings depleted. Laney's dream of owning a home never seemed further away. But his resolve didn't waver. And he used what federal relief he had to rebuild his savings because, as he put it, I had a goal. I wanted a house. When I came out of the tunnel, I knew what I wanted. By 2021, he started looking again. A townhome might come up on the market, far from perfect, but within Laney's means. And he would ready himself to put down an offer. It never was enough. Someone comes in and puts 20K cash on the offer, or 30K, or 40K, Laney said. I went through about a year and a half of that, and I knew in my head I was not going to be able to get a house. 
A real estate agent who came into his bar told Laney to apply for a $300,000 bank loan. He had good credit, the agent told him, and would be a shoo-in for the money. $300,000 does not get you a townhome, Laney thought to himself. He was frustrated. More than frustrated, he felt depressed. I'd done everything right, everything I was supposed to do, and it still didn't matter, he said. I'm just stuck like the hundreds of thousands of other people in limbo. Laney's luck began to turn near the end of 2021 when he heard there were about to be dozens of single-family homes for sale in Littleton for less than $300,000. He thought it was too good to be true. We can't all win the lottery. That year, South Metro Housing Options, which manages affordable properties throughout Littleton, sold 59 of its single-family homes to Habitat for Humanity of Metro Denver, which pledged to renovate the units and sell them at a below market price. Laney's hourly wage had slightly increased since the pandemic from $8 to $10, though 90% of his income still came from tips, he said. Still, Laney believed he met the financial requirements for a Habitat home, which would only sell to people who earn no more than 80% of the area's median income. But when Laney applied to be on a waitlist at the beginning of 2022, he was quickly denied. He was told his income, roughly $56,000 when he applied, exceeded the cap by less than $1,000. Laney said he was actually making less than that, about $54,000. But because Habitat counted his, quote, unrealized interest gains, such as money held in stocks, Laney was over the threshold. Habitat was also only looking at the income of recent months, Laney said, rather than his income over the past year. This made it look like he made more than he did because his month-to-month income would fluctuate dramatically based on tips. He applied again and was denied again, this time for making just $300 more than the cutoff. But a slow month at work turned out to be a good thing. His income dipped just enough to that by the third time he applied, he made it on the wait list. That did not come with the guarantee of a home. Laney was in a line of people just like him and demand far outweighed supply. Number 10 was his position. Who knew how many more people were behind him, he thought. Then it happened. Laney was made an offer, a 1,275-square-foot 1, detached home near Kittering Park in Central Littleton, valued at $285,000, roughly a third of what similar property sold for. I can't even express how happy I was, Laney said. I've been living and serving this community for 10 years, and I want to live here. Still, the program has some drawbacks compared to traditional home ownership. Laney cannot build as much equity as many of his neighbors because he does not own the property the home sits on. Instead, it is owned by something called a land trust, a collection of entities. The beauty of the land trust is it removes the cost of the land from the equation of the cost of the home, said Kate Hilberg, Director of Real Estate Development for Habitat for Humanity. It allows the homeowners to pay on the mortgage for the home and improvements to that home, but not the land. Land trusts are crucial tools organizations like Habitat use to lock in the affordability of homes, even as property values rise elsewhere. The owners of these units will see some equity from their homes, Hilberg said, about 2% each year. But it won't be enough to match the likes of homeowners who have used their growing property values to build decades of generational wealth. A lot of families use this as a starter home option, and they do gain enough equity and stability to turn that into a down payment on a home in the open market, Hilberg said of homes under land trusts. But fathoming a concept like equity is a luxury for those who still can't buy a house on the market, Laney said. While he's thankful for what Habitat did for him, he fears the few dozen homes it manages in Littleton can only go so far to meet the demand of hundreds, if not thousands, of residents who have struggled as he has. Quote, There isn't enough income-based housing for people. The people who live and work in this community 
can't afford a house, Lainey said. We can't all win the lottery. Colorado Community Reporters Andrew Fraley, Steve Smith, Taylor Shaw, and Ellis Arnold contributed reporting to this story. Arvada City Team Resolves to Manage Local Homeless Service Providers by Riley Dunn. Arvada City Council rang in the new year by addressing one of the most pressing concerns for the community, homelessness. At a January 9th study session, Arvada City Team resolved to take a more supervisory role in terms of homeless service coordination. But one of the city's key would-be partners, Mission Arvada, a homeless service ministry that operates out of the rising church in Old Town, says the city hasn't always been a willing collaborator. The discussion was spurred in part because of an incident that occurred on Christmas Day at Schoolhouse Kitchen and Libations, one of the many Old Town establishments owned by Scott Spears. In an email to City Council, city team members and other community stakeholders Spears reported that a homeless man broke into schoolhouse and vandalized the restaurant and its alcohol stock. Spears said a bar manager at schoolhouse found the man on Christmas morning, at which point Arvada police responded. The man was eventually placed in jail, according to Spears, and Spears himself had to leave his family to take care of the situation. I'm sick of this, Spears said in the email. Do something. Shut down the church that is bringing all these people here. We all know that this is the main problem. If any other business was causing these types of problems, they would be shut down immediately. Not only has my family and I invested millions of dollars into Old Town, but I have given my heart and soul to our wonderful town, Spears continued, and now it is being destroyed. Get this homeless situation under control. You are our leaders, and you are letting us down. Do something now. In Arvada... Mayor Mark Williams' response to Spears' email, the mayor seems to support the idea of having the rising moved from the historic district. Quote, as you know, there are several of us who want to shut down the rising in Old Town, Williams said. I get emails from their supporters, but their support is misplaced. I'm glad this guy got arrested. Enough is enough. Other stakeholders seem to agree. Stephen Howards, an Old Town building owner, echoed Spears and Williams' sentiments. I, too, own a significant amount of property in Old Town and am very frustrated, Howard said. The Rising Church is a crummy neighbor that lacks compassion for the Old Town community, which is a sad, sad commentary. Homelessness Data at the January 9th study session, city team members went over data regarding homelessness. The estimates contained in that data are approximate and are culled from a variety of sources. The city estimates that in Arvada, 1,126 people received day shelter, sheltering over a one-year period. Of those individuals, the city estimates that 200 are unhoused, more of a temporary condition, 64 are chronically homeless, 40 are, 40 are veterans, and 128 are disabled. The city reports that there are 493 people experiencing homelessness in Jefferson County, 142 people in emergency shelter, 164 people unsheltered, 35 people in transitional housing, 130 families, 133 families, 341 adults, and 19 youth. The Arvada Police Department estimates that between 125 and 175 individuals are homeless in Arvada. Representatives from Mission Arvada, which, unlike the city of Arvada, participates in the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative, which compiles data on unhoused people to appropriately allocate housing vouchers from the Department of Ur Housing and Urban Development. said they have served 1,090 unique individuals over the past year. Additionally, Mission Arvada has placed 141 people into permanent housing in the last two years, 97% of which they say have stayed in that housing. 
Deputy City Manager Don Wick said that in 2017, the city had 1,100 calls related to service for homeless people. In the last two years, Wick said that number increased to 3,800 calls for service. Arvada Police Chief Ed Brady said that 1,100 arrests and tickets have been issued to homeless individuals within the last year. Brady estimated that in 2020, the total cost for APD's response to homeless calls, including the salaries of core team officers, co-responders, and funding for camp cleanups, exceeded $1 million. I don't see that as a source of pride, Brady said. It just shows that there's a demand for it. This is just the core, APD's Community Outreach Resource and Enforcement Team officers. So this doesn't even account for our patrol officers who have to deal with issues when CORE's not there. At the council study session, Wick asserted his belief that no matter what the city or relevant stakeholders do, homelessness will always exist in Arvada. He asserted that, according to the city's research, only about one-third of homeless people wish to better their situation. Quote, there's going to be a level of homelessness that exists in our community regardless of what steps or actions we take, Wick said. Through the course of our research that we did over the past few months, we have determined that it's likely that we would be in the 30 to 40% range of individuals that we would have success in reaching and getting them into services or housing or a combination of both. However, Karen Cowling, director of Mission Arvada, says the city of Arvada's research is incorrect because it lacks a fundamental component for providing care for unhoused people. Trust. Unbeknownst to them, 99% of the people we have gained trust of in here have sought help, Cowling said even if it appears that they don't, because maybe they're so angry and belligerent about everything that's happened to them and how the system has failed them. There seems to be no hope for them. They still want help, even though they're afraid or they're marginalized, Cowling continued. They still want help. Your perception that they don't want help, that's yours. You don't know them. The relationship is not there. They don't trust you enough to tell you how afraid they are, how scared they are to trust anyone. That is a complete false perception. The Rising's pastor, Stephen Byers, who helps lead Mission Arvada along with Cowling, said the city's study session lacked consideration of the relationship needed to gain the trust of someone who's been living at the margins of society. Arvada provides services to have spent time in foster care. Byers said, which he claims adds to the importance of relationship building during rehabilitation. Quote, one of the things I think is missing in this whole discussion is the importance of relationship, Byers said, and how relationship builds for someone who's often lived a life with a lot of trauma. Relationship is important to help move them to the next level. Moving beyond one's circumstances. Byers said that over the past two years, Mission Arvada has helped 141 people get into permanent housing. He claims 97% of them stayed. The nonprofit provides two hot meals a day, showers, a clothing bank, severe weather items, and laundry services. Additionally, partners including Senior Smiles Dental, Christian Legal Society, Jefferson Center for Mental Health, DMV to go, and other partners with Mission Arvada to provide their services in-house at the Rising's Old Town Church building. In exchange, unhoused people who utilize Mission Arvada's service must attend an orientation where they are appraised of a strict 25-rule code of conduct, which governs acceptable actions both at Mission Arvada's property and in the broader Arvada Old Town community. They must follow to remain eligible for services. We have every service in place that will help people move beyond their circumstances. And the services are in-house, Cowling said. We're the only entity like that in Jefferson County that offers emergency services and in-house navigation services for people, for getting people into permanent housing. In 2020, Jefferson County stated its desire to build two homeless navigation centers in the area to provide wraparound services for unhoused people. Last year, the city of Arvada spent $2.75 million 
for a property located at 51st Avenue and Marshall Street in order to submit a bid for one of the navigation centers. Arvada's Director of Communication and Engagement, Rachel Curoya, said the city has closed on the property and will now begin working with Jeffco and the surrounding municipalities to begin planning a navigation center. However, Kiroiwa added that while the city considers the site to be viable, Arvada does not have final site confirmation from the county yet, meaning that the placement of the navigation center is still up in the air. She added that the project is still years away from completion. This is likely to be a long-term project that will take several years to complete, Kuroiwa said. As this project develops, there will be more public information available as the planning and design process moves forward. We believe it is a viable site for a regional navigation center. Final site confirmation is part of the regional coordination work that is ahead of us. Kiroiwa added that the city is not considering having any services on the site until a navigation center is completed. In Wick's presentation, he credited economic reasons, relationship issues, post-traumatic stress-related issues, physical or behavioral health, mental health issues, addiction, as some of the reasons why people experience homelessness. Wick also stated that, quote, some make a lifestyle choice to be homeless, an assertion both Cowling and Byers bristled at, but Williams echoed. People don't choose to be homeless and live on the streets and eat out of trash cans, Cowling said. You know what I mean? That comment really bothered me. Williams in particular doubled down on Wick's claims, stating that if the city does not limit the impact homeless people have on Arvada residents, the city will, quote, lose our old town. Where I'm most concerned right now from an immediate perspective are the chronic homeless who want to remain homeless, Williams said. What do we do with them? And how do we make them have a much smaller impact on our citizens? Wick called Old Town, quote, an attractive place for the homeless to be able to come and seek shelter and food due to a, quote, triangle of services in the historic district made up of Mission Arvada, the Jefferson County Public Library branch directed across the street in the nearby G-Line RTD stop. To this point, Wick showed a heat map with homeless population clusters around Arvada, which seemed to suggest a trend of unhoused people gathering near G-Line stops, most frequently in Old Town. He posited that after Mission Arvada closes at 1 p.m. each day, unhoused people head to the library across the street. We're pretty sure this has some negative economic impact, especially around Old Town, Wick said. It's a little bit challenging to quantify exactly what that means, but if you talk to the business community specifically, they'll share their stat sentiment. Cowling called Old Town, quote, a gym of the city and said Mission Arvada would be willing to move its services to another location, including the property at 51st Street and Marshall, if the city was able to provide assistance. The Rising's congregation has been located at the church's Old Town location since the 1960s. To be very blunt, they don't want the homeless in Old Town, Cowling said. This is a gem to the city and they don't want them here. We have told them that we would operate outside of Old Town, but we are a non-profit. We don't have the funding to buy a building and make it equipped to do all of the things that we're doing. Wick says a move must come sooner rather than later. We need to identify an appropriate location outside of Old Town to provide homeless services, Wick said. I think we could have a great advantage if we find an appropriate place where services can be provided that will serve people and do well, but Old Town is not that location. Byers said that moving Mission Arvada won't solve all of Old Town's problems. Quote, the other fallacy is that if we left, if we weren't in Old Town, there would be no homeless in Old Town, Byers said. They've created an urban environment. There are other attractions here. There's a library, a light rail station, a transit hub. There's green space all around here. Why are homeless people in Arvada? Byers continued. It's safer than Denver, as well as many of them grew up around here. This is their home. This is their safe place. 
Next steps. Arvada Municipal Judge Catherine Kurtz shared the latest results from the court's One Small Step program, OSS, which is designed specifically to help defendants who are experiencing homelessness. The defendants work with city prosecutors, probation officers, and homeless navigators in order to be connected with resources, treatment, and housing during their trial. Kurtz said that 70, 733 OSS cases were filed in 2022, compared to about 4,700 municipal court cases overall. However, of the 1,030 criminal violation cases in 2022, 71% were OSS cases. To date, three defendants have successfully completed OSS. Three OSS defendants are currently in a treatment program, and 15 OSS defendants have received housing. Quote, we have a couple more defendants who have successfully completed the program, Kurtz said. And what that looks like for me is that they're not picking up new law violations. They are relatively sober, they are in housing, and they're on either disability that can help them sustain them and pay for their housing or that they're working so that they can support themselves. Nevertheless, Kurt said that the program, the biggest struggle folks in the program have is complete completing treatment. Kurtz requires OSS defendants who are struggling with substance abuse to attend Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics, Narcotics Anonymous meetings. But those programs don't work for everyone, she said. I told one defendant, you go to treatment or you go to jail, because he had so many criminal violations that he was really escalating that behavior, Kurt said. And he was really given every single access to resources and was unwilling to engage at all in any respect. And so that was kind of the end of the line for him. Quote, he went to treatment for a day and then bombed out, and so he did end up spending 190 days in jail. Kurtz continued. Brady said that a shortage of mental health resources keeps people cycling through the legal system without actually getting better. Quote, if there's one thing I would ask you to take away from my portion, it is that there are not enough mental health resources for those that are found guilty of crimes or are put on M1 holds, Brady said. The city is committed to taking a coordinating role in providing homeless services. Wick asserted that taking a leadership role in connecting service providers to those in need would be more beneficial than Arvada actually providing services itself. Quote, You've heard from our various experts here about how they're trying to get people into the resources, Wick said, but it's really difficult because we lack a coordinated system in order to get there. My recommendation is that we need to advocate for a strong government assistance, governance system, Wick continued. Like you see at the Tri-Cities, what you see in Adams County and others, not to deliver the services, not to be the service provider, but rather that we build the governance structure with policy aims that are clear across the county and provide consistency for what we can do, that we help to lead the effort to develop the regional plan, execute that plan, manage and coordinate that be the catalyst for change. Wick also called on city council to lobby the state legislature for increased funding to accomplish this. An exasperated Williams agreed with Wick's recommendation, but maintained that people, that some people, quote, don't want to be help. Quote, let's certainly work on programs and how we can better coordinate and how it can work regionally on helping those who want to be helped, Williams said. But for those that don't want to be helped, you know, do we just do, do we just tell from here's a place you can go and you can start your own little society and leave us alone or, or what? Byers said that if the city wants to partner with service providers, it will have to better its relationships with them, something he hasn't seen yet. We need more coordination from the city. The city can coordinate and collaborate, but we need collaboration, Byer said. You have us, Community Table, Grace Church, the library. It would be nice if someone could just get everyone together and we're working on who's doing what. Possibly talk about specific clients and what's the best avenue to help them. It's a holistic thing. A city cannot provide services, Byers continued. 
Governments are not relational. That's why there's nonprofits, Cowling said. We all need to work together to get people into housing. Despite the disorganization, lack of resources, and myriad challenges facing homeless people in Arvada, there are some, though not many, success stories. We have about 15 dependents who have received housing, and those who have received housing are doing really well, Kurt said. It's really fun to see that while they're not living that white picket fence life necessarily, they're in a much better place than they were previously, especially during the winter months. I think they feel really good about where they are, Kurtz continued, and they're willing to meaningfully engage and work towards betterment. Arvada takes action. The city team outlined immediate, intermediate, and long-term actions at its January 9th study session. The following is a partial list of these actions. Immediate. Identify emergency sheltering. Hire homeless navigator and coordinator. Transition homeless from Old Town. Identify service location outside of Old Town. Create governance structure. Intermediate. Establish data collection method and performance measures. Align service providers, including the school district. Develop communication plan. Build a funding pipeline. Long-term. Implement regional navigation center. Expand housing options. Evaluate transitional housing model. Elected officials advocate for legislation and financing to assist with handling. Governor Jared Polis visits Lamar Station Crossing in Lakewood. By Andrew Fraley, the Jeffco Transcript. Governor Jared Polis, on the tail of his State of the Address, State of the State Address, where he spoke on housing solutions, visited the Lamar Station Crossing apartment complex in Lakewood on January 30th. The complex was built in two phases and is meant to be affordable. It accepts housing choice vouchers. We really applaud the forward-looking vision of Lakewood and really making sure that more housing now is a key element of making sure people can afford to rent and buy homes in Colorado, Polis told Colorado Community Media. The complex was built by Metro West Housing Solutions, a nonprofit developer that manages apartments in both Denver and Lakewood, providing vouchers and human services. CEO of MWHS, Tammy Fisher, showed Polis around the complex, which is located directly next to the West Rail Line. Polis asked about the transportation people living at the complex use, and Fisher said most residents still have cars and use them. But MWHS has experimented with giving vouchers for RTD tickets before. Mayor of Lakewood Adam Paul also joined Polis in touring the complex and commented that public transport in Lakewood is not as built out as he'd like. Quote, we need a strong metro-wide transit, and when people live close to transit, it not only adds to their convenience and ability to save money, but it also ensures we have enough customers to have more transit options viable for more people. Polis said when asked how the regional transportation districts refocus away from the suburbs and to the city could affect affordability transit through public transit options. Free legal clinics served almost 200 Jefferson County residents last year. Run through Belmar and Evergreen libraries, the virtual Pro Se Clinic program provides free Legal Advice from Volunteer Attorneys by Andrew Fraley. Ten years ago, a Colorado attorney realized that if medical advice could be given virtually, there's no reason legal advice couldn't either. Jefferson County has had a free legal clinic out of Belmar and Evergreen Libraries for eight years, with almost 200 people helped last year alone. And the program isn't just in Jeffco. Quote, the principal purpose of the virtual pro se clinic program is to provide help to people that have no lawyer. That's the whole thing. We're not interested in providing secondhand, second opinions for people who can afford an attorney. The founder, volunteer coordinator, and Colorado attorney Rick Morgan told Colorado Community Media. According to a Colorado Courts report, about 200,000 parties did not have attorney representation in court. 
not including Denver County cases. Quote, and it wasn't because they didn't want one, it's because they couldn't afford one, Morgan said. The program started as a pilot in 2013 to see whether the concept could work. Quote, the areas we happened to choose to do the initial clinics, there was just nothing else available, Morgan said. These were in rural areas, like near the Utah state line and Oklahoma state line, and were a success, according to Morgan. The public response and the response from the courts and the libraries was just terrific. Patrick Dunn, a staff member at Belmar Public Library and the point person for the program there, praised the program. Libraries are kind of treated like a one-stop, get-a-lot-of-things-done-for-a-lot-of-people. The fact that they can do that on top of talking to a lawyer about their issues is very helpful, he said. The issues that people ask about at the clinics in Jeffco, according to an annual report from Morgan, are split mainly between domestic, such as marriage and parental responsibility, and civil, like evictions, small claims, collections, labor, and bankruptcy issues. The remaining cases, about 20%, were property and probate issues. According to Morgan, courts are happy about the program as well. Frankly, the people appearing in front of the court have a better, more thorough understanding of what the courts can do, he said. This benefits the courts, he continued, because people who have a better understanding of what to expect, saving time, and court staff would normally spend guiding or explaining the process and the court's capabilities. As of this year, the program operates in 46 counties, holding 525 clinics across the state last year, helping over 2,000 people. The format of these clinics are Zoom calls set up by the local library to a volunteer attorney with the program. The clinics happen once a month, and people have to sign up for a 15-minute slot beforehand. Morgan said that some people are confused by the small time frame. It's not just a simple matter of talking to an attorney for 10 or 15 minutes, he explained. What that attorney is doing is pointing that individual to a body of resources that they can then digest at their own rate. He references a website he made for the program, checkerboard.co, which has links and flowcharts to help inform people of the processes and paperwork necessary for dozens of different types of cases. If someone is prepared for that session, then they can get a lot of answered questions, Dunn said about the time frame. When asked how many volunteer attorneys are needed, Morgan said the ideal for, for 46 clinics would be about 185. They currently have five. It's a problem we always have with this program, Morgan said, speaking on retention and recruiting. The kind of people that support the program are the exact kind of people that keep getting picked up for their dream job. One example he gave was Colorado Supreme Court Justice Melissa Hart, whom he said volunteered with the program until she became a judge in the highest state court. The goal is to eventually have a clinic in every county, but Morgan said he's, quote, baby steps kind of guy. We're kind of working our way into some areas, but we've certainly got clinics accessible nearby for folks across the state, he said. He's happy with their, quote, measured methodical growth, adding four or five counties every year. The help given from the clinic itself, quote, may not be the end of the road of where we need to go in this whole process, Morgan said, but it's light years ahead of where we were. Arvada Library closes due to methamphetamine contamination. Fourth Denver area library to shut its doors in recent weeks. By Riley Dunn. Another Denver area library has closed over concerns about methamphetamine residue. The Arvada Library's doors will be shut for an indefinite period of time after testing for the substance by Envirospec. The announcement from the Jefferson County Public Library came on January 28th. The library is the fourth in the metro area to close due to meth contamination. Boulder, Littleton, and Inglewood libraries closed in recent weeks after similar testing. The decision to test the Arvada Library followed a review of incident reports across Jefferson County libraries. Further testing is expected to bring any public health concerns into sharper focus. 
JCPL said that recent studies indicate that exposure to meth residue poses little health risk compared to long-term exposure to meth residue in one's home or workplace, an assertion backed by experts recently interviewed by Colorado Community Media. Quote, This is an ongoing situation, and if there is information that would lead us to believe that there is an unreasonable risk to the health or staff uh, or patrons, testing at other locations would be plausible. JCPL said in a statement of the metro area libraries that have closed due to meth contamination, only the Boulder Library has partially reopened since in its initial shutdown. JCPL said it will consult with its partners to determine when the library can reopen again. Another branch of JCPL remains open in West Arvada, the Express Library West Arvada. Colorado DMV releases list of rejected personalized plates by Andrew Frehley. Chicago vote and bull are among some of the less quote offensive personalized license plates that were rejected by the Colorado DMV last year. Quote, we love the creativity and personal pride Coloradans take in Picking their personalized plate, DMV Senior Director Electra Bussell said in a statement. While most personalized plates are approved, there are a small percentage that do not meet DMV, DMV standards and are rejected. Some of this percentage were warnings like back TFU, others profanity-laced skater stayings like Fiddler. Multiple were political statements and others were highly sexual. The rejections themselves are partly done automatically through the DMV's internal systems, according to the statement. It compares the request to, quote, an offensive and omit list built over time using American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators' recommendations. Quote, known offensive words and terms, as well as comparing what other states do not allow. According to DMV and Tax Communications Manager Derek Kuhn, the other part of the rejection process is through an internal committee. A panel of three DMV staff members rotate reviewing plates flagged as offensive in what Kuhn described as a, quote, blind independent review. Each committee member does their own research and votes blindly on the plates that they receive referrals for, he said, with a two-thirds majority required to approve or deny a plate. The staffers look at similar resources as the automatic system, but also Urban Dictionary and Google Translate. There is an appeal process, but Kuhn said it is rarely used. It involves going to the Colorado Department of Revenue's hearings division for them to make a determination. This past year, though, only one person appealed, and Kuhn said the DMV worked to reconfigure the plate before the hearing. In the end, the customer was happy, and no hearing was held, he said. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News. My name is Gregory Haddock. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.